verses 17 through 19, says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. That's, that, that's, a, that's a parcel of them in southern. That's, that's a partial of them. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in the holy place. Now, I've got in the margin of my Bible, I don't know where I figured that up, but I've got 40 plus million. <laughs> Glory to God. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. Isn't that wonderful? That the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And then it says, you better pause and think about that. It says, Selah. You better just stop and give that some thought about what you've just read because there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. And I believe God talks Southern. I think he'll say there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. Think about that and meditate on it. Then if we turn over to Ephesians 4 and read verse 8, as a companion scripture, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and those gifts then that were given to him that the psalmist saw, it says, and he gave gifts unto men. <laughs> Glory. That ought, to say, that, that ought to make even the weakest one say, mm-mm, my, my, my. Captives or, or captives. I looked in the word, in the Webster dictionary, sometime even though uh, Mr. Webster can, can shed a little light on, on a, a real dark area. And I looked what he had to say about captive. And he said that, that pretty much what we know, it's like a person who is, is, is held in a war, captured in a war and, and held captive. Now we understand that. We understand the warfare concept of the thing. But it goes on to say, it can also be one who is captivated by beauty. You ever been captivated by beauty? I, I've been captivated by beauty. Claude and I were talking one day, and we were sharing about some of the prettiest people we had ever, ha, ever seen. And I had shared with him that I was sitting in a, uh, a, a not a Rexall drugstore, but uh, what kind of Rexall, what kind of drugstore was that we were talking about? Anyway, it was a drugstore used to have the lunch counters, had three of them, you know. And they were kind of horseshoe shaped. And I was sitting there with a couple of friends of mine having just having a, a sandwich or something, I forgot. And, sir? No, this was in Sacramento, California. I was sitting there in, in, a, in a, one of those restaurants. I want to say Rexall, but that's, that's, I don't think that's it. But anyway, this lady came in, and she was young, and she was dressed in a hat that was about that big and a flowing pretty dress. Summary's dress and it just flew with the, with the zephyr of a breeze and she was so stunningly beautiful that it literally took my breath away. She was just a beautiful person by countenance to look upon. And this is, that's what it say, captive. For a few moments, I was, you heard the word captivated? People captivate us. We're captivated by people, by those who appeal to us. And we can understand that. There's captives and then there's captives. If you really want to know what a person is, you've got to, to know what captivates that person. If you really want to know them, you've got to know what, what holds their captivation, 
What holds their interest to the nth degree and what depth they hold at? You see, we're all captives in one way or the other. You know, a lot of things. We're captivated and held captive by a lot of different things. Some extreme. Paul said, when, you, when, when you're young, you just go where you want to. You just flit here and you flit there and, and they're seemingly, the days are so long and they're endless and there's no obligations and you just go and you're fancy free. And I'm paraphrasing Paul, but he would go on to say, now when you get old sometime, people take you to where you don't want to go. And they lead you sometime to where you don't want to go. And sometime I'm led places that I can't wait to get there. And there's some captivations that are absolutely terrible, and there's others that are absolutely wonderful. So we live in a spectrum of captivation that can run the gauntlet on us. Captives are captives. Uh, there's a lot of people who are held captive by their ignorance. They don't know. They're not stupid. They're just held in ignorance by their, or captive by their ignorance. There are some who are, are held captive by divine intervention. Divine intervention. You mess around God with God so long. You mess around the creek bank of this thing called Pentecostalism and call the church and pretty soon you mess around and you're going to slip right into deep water. You're going to slip in there. Holy Spirit's going to make that old bank slimy for you. You're going to slip right down there where the good stuff is. He's going to captivate you. There's divine intervention in us. And then some people are held captive just because they want to be. I'm a captive to a lot of things just because I want to be held captive for them and to them. Some things just tantalize me and please me. Now, now the world is held captive because they're ignorant. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care how much worldly logic they have. They are held captive because they are ignorant. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 and look at verse number 10. Isaiah 6.10 says, Make the heart of this people fat. And make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Now, boy, that's, uh, that's really doing a number on somebody. And here's the reason why. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed and be healed. If men... could get saved by emotions. They would. Or if God would allow them to get saved by emotions or intellect or by the feelings that they're feeling, everybody in the world would get saved. They would. Everybody would get saved if they could do it like this passage here says, and God pours it out, and the psalmist or the, the writer here is crying for God to do that so he can bring everybody in. But if we could get there by intellect and understanding and emotions and wisdom of man, then everybody would get saved. Everybody would across the whole world because you see, only a very totally stupid person would choose hell over heaven. Only a stupid person 
would ever choose if they, if they could understand the options fully to go to hell versus going to heaven. Only a stupid person would do that. You see, and God, God didn't make any totally stupid people. Where the gospel is concerned, if they knew a little, then they aren't stupid. And God puts a little bit of knowledge into the people. But they can't get the full picture of it just by intellect and not and, and reasoning it out and deductions alone. And the world is held captive by this ignorance. Only an ignorant person, only an ignorant person would choose to live in the pig pen of the world like the prodigal son with the options of living a quality life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody would choose to live in that pig pen when they could live in the provisions of prosperity. I don't believe anybody would choose that. Psalm 51 says, make me to hear the joy and the gladness that's what the psalmist wanted to hear. That's what the world is longing and straining to hear. That's what their being is created to hear. And they're trying to do it through all kinds of different avenues. Only an ignorant person would choose total abuse of their bodies with unclean things. Only a totally stupid person would choose that to continue to inflict that upon their body. Again, the psalmist said in Psalm 118, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. There's a cry within us to live and to, and to have this prosperity, to be involved in the restoration process. And for, for this time of our tenure here, I believe every person understands that we're living in a in a in a capsule of time. They just don't want to face the facts of the thing about they are held in a certain amount of captivity while they're here. Only an ignorant person would choose to spend eternity with the dregs of history. If you could get there, like the writer said, about just wisdom alone and, and natural intellect, who in the world would choose to be in hell with the Hitlers of the world and the Mussolinis and the, and the Tojos and, and all the evil people who've ever lived? The, all of the Herods and all of the, the other people who have done heinous things, all the serial killers. And yet Satan will, will still let people speak that old lie to us as we go out on visitation I haven't heard it since I've been going on visitation here, but I have heard it in a few places. I don't want to go to church because there's some hypocrites there. And Lord, every time I hear it, I think that's one of the most asinine, stupid statements I could ever, but you can't tell them that. <laughs> you can't look them in the eye and, and grapple them by the lapel and say, you're the most stupid people I've ever seen in my life. You know, you got to try to woo them and you got to dangle the bait out there and you got to love them hard because Jesus died for them and you know the options and they don't. But only a stupid person uh, or a totally ignorant person would choose to live in eternity with that kind of a, an environment around them. Some people are held captive by divine intervention, we said. Turn with me to, to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Revelation 1, verse 9. John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and 
The patience of Jesus Christ was in the aisle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are some people who are, are held in divine intervention captive. John says that he was captive on this aisle and it was not a pleasant place. And he was there because of his testimony for the word of God because the word of God was something that he lived 24 hours a day that he shared the the same way that you and I share it with a a, uh, tenacity and with an enthusiasm, with an encouragement, willing that every man would be saved. This is the way we put it out. And he says he was there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming that, hey, telling the world, your, your, your riches won't do it. Telling the person who's leaning on their doctors, there'll come a time if you don't get right with God when your doctor won't be able to satisfy your need. There'll come a time when you're writing a check, you won't be able to write enough. People are wiped out overnight with one illness anymore. One illness, one catastrophic long term. You probably can speak to this better than anybody in the house. Well, maybe between the two of you. We have a lot of nurses and doctors and who are affiliated with this ministry. And thank God for them. But people, we, we hear about it every day. Catastrophic illness, 50, 60, 70, and hundreds of thousands of dollars even. And they completely wipe out people. They can't cope with those kinds of, uh, of infringements upon their, upon their economic situation. And John says, I was there for the testimony of Jesus Christ, looking people in the eye and telling them, Christ is your only answer. Christ is your only answer. We had to come to that understanding, didn't we? We had to come to the understanding that there's a place when I can go as far as I can go. And after that is Christ. I can go as far in my limitations as I can and I've reached that point on different occasions and then I had to recognize that beyond that point there was only Christ. That's, that's an encouragement. But having been there, I can, I can empathize with John. And I dare say that he wasn't terribly elated about being on the Isle of Patmos because everything I've ever, ever read about it and haven't seen it from a distance, it's not a very desirable place to be, and that's 2,000 years after the fact. I don't think it was a very choice place to go for the summer vacation. <laughs> I just think you'd have probably chosen the, the high places up where the, where the elite went, the good people like we saw this morning, the pretty people. He had incurred the wrath of all the Roman world and of the high officials because of his life and his walk and his testimony solely for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to attack a person's character for them to dislike you. You don't have to attack their wisdom for them not to want to have anything to do with you. All you have to do most of the time is just let them know that you're seeking for their soul and they'll have a problem with you because that spirit is going to see to that to try to drive a wedge in there. Held captive for divine intervention's sake. God had allowed John to be on on that Patmos island. And he had put him there for a purpose. Sometime God works in minding your affairs like he did in Job's. And as he does in many of the others. First of all, because he's got a plan. John was there to, to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and write the book of Revelation. 
to send it down and to send it back to the churches. And then he was there because God ordained him to be there for a couple of reasons. First of all, this book had to be written by men. Secondly, he, the Holy Spirit knew that he would be there with John. He knew that he would be sustaining him and keeping him because the word, I'm telling you, the word of God is true. No matter what your circumstances look like, the word is still true where God says, I don't care when you're walking in my will. I think even God, I, I think God gives us some latitude. I think God says, if you're just walking anywhere close to my will, I will not put anything more on you than you can, than you can bear. If you're going through hard times and you run through your checklist and you're prayed up and you're tithed up and you're offering up and you're worshiped up and you're praised up to the Holy Spirit and you're doing what God told you to do, then you have every right to expect the Holy Spirit not to ever put any more on you than you can experience and you can sustain through. Because if he does that, if the mountains look too high, first of all, God is going to keep you safe. And secondly, God is going to use that to touch somebody else's life. And if he doesn't do it, then he says, I'll make you a way of escape. That word is still valid. That word is still true. And Paul was there because of divine intervention. You see, no person can keep you spiritually in captivity when God wants you out. No spirit can keep you in spiritual captivity when God wants you liberated. Satan can't keep anybody from getting saved. Just don't give that rascal too much credit. He can't keep anybody. All he can do is lie and cloud and pervert. But no spirit can keep us from doing God's will. No organization can keep us from doing the spiritual will of the Lord and being spiritually liberated. Also, no person can keep you in physical bondage or captivity when God wants you free. Now, that's a harsh statement. A lot of people might choke on that, but there's scripture in the Bible. There's, there's instances in the Bible where God performed that very kind of thing. We hear stories all the time about people, murderers, who were sentenced to three and four lifetime terms and they, they sincerely came to the Lord and they sincerely repented and pretty soon they're out, they're free and nobody can give a definitive answer how they ever got a parole because they never should have gotten it. Because when God wants us out, there's no man that can hold us captive spiritually or physically. No organization can do that. They don't make enough jails to hold a person. They don't make enough dungeons to hold us captive. And again, I think some of us may have to look at the inside of some jails. Just like the first century Christians do. I think we're coming to that point where a few of the saints of God may be divinely intervened on by the Holy Ghost. And we may have to look at the inside of a jail. Because there are certain things that we as Christians cannot acquiesce to in this life. There are certain things that we must not compromise. I don't care what the glorious Constitution of the United States and all the, the people in Washington decree and all the esteemed leaders of the Congress and of the, of the Senate and of the Supreme Court and we pray for them and they, in all of their austerities, they are still people and they make mistakes. And thinking doing well, they will persecute the church because they are doing the works of their father. They're basically evil men trying to do good, 
trying to do good. That's why they have to pray for him. But the time I believe is coming when the church may have to do deal with some hard situations. But praise God, the same God that walked into the Old Testament and in the transitional period but of the Gospels that we read, that same Holy Ghost is operating today in power and strength, available to do the same thing. No spirit can keep you physically captive. Aren't you glad that these gifts that he talked about there in those passages just before us a little while, God gave them to the Lord Jesus Christ and then he gives them to us and we can liberate people. We can get them liberated and nobody can hold them captive. John the Baptist stayed in jail and was beheaded. Yet in Acts, the chapter, 12th chapter, Peter was in prison and he was bound between two soldiers and he was sleeping and an angel of the Lord freed him from that place and the chains fell off and the doors swept open so much that he thought he was having a vision. And he didn't even know it before he was outside. And yet when you get to in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in prison and they were praying and singing psalm. A little bit different uh, scenario there from, from where uh, John the Baptist was. And God, this time God used an earthquake. And the doors swung open. And the chains fell off of them. But they're here, they didn't escape. They stayed there and witnessed to the, to the jailer and he and his house got saved. Divine intervention. It's wonderful to flow with the Holy Spirit. There's a time to flee and there's a time to stand and do what God has called us to do. Hallelujah. No man can hold us captive, but if we're in divine intervention, the Holy Spirit will lead us into places that will surprise us. Some people are held captive by their own choice. By their own choice. They're captive. Stephen chose to die for the gospel's sake. And by his death, God used it to con to convict of sin and to launch the greatest minister and ministry in the New Testament. And we see that in the personage of Paul. We talked a bit about that this morning. As Stephen was stoned, Paul witnessed that. And, and the Holy Ghost used this willful choice captivity of Steve, Stephen as a launching pad to touch the heart of Saul as he stood there and witnessed that says he held their coats, or actually they laid them down at his feet, which meant he guarded them. And he looked on as, as Stephen accepted death, accepted death. And he, he heard the visions that, Pete, that uh, Stephen was elaborating on when he says, I see the heavens open. I see the heavens open. And he heard that confession out of a person who was in the process of being stoned. Lord, receive my spirit. How, how can you walk away from that kind of a deathbed testimony and, and faith when you, when you know you're part of that? He didn't have the guts to be involved in it, but he was there egging the people on. But yet those words stung in Saul's ears. 
And I come convinced that when he lay down at night, he could still hear that voice and he could still see that face. And the Bible says it was as the face of an angel. The face of an angel staring death in the face. And then he heard St Stephen say, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Don't lay this to their charge. He had learned something from the cross. When Jesus said, I, Lord, Father, I forgive them. Don't hold this against them. When, when everything in heaven wanted to do the consuming fire. And everything in heaven wanted to open up the earth and swallow them up. And all the fury was up in God's face. And the only thing it would have stated was when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And yet Paul and Saul saw this same type of accountants on Stephen's face when he said, Father, don't lay this to their charge. They don't even know what they're doing. Don't we think... Don't we think that Stephen, when he was standing there waiting for those rocks, those stones to come crashing down, don't we think that he had heard the principle of binding and loosing? Don't we think he understands, he understood spiritual warfare of deliverance? He may not have understood the exact words, but I kind of think he does because the words of Jesus had been spoken and re-spoken in this period, three plus four years of time, and they would have crawled over. They would have crawled over every word that Jesus would have spoken. And these apostles, everywhere they went, they would have been hands grasping them and says, sit here for a minute. Tell us what the master said in this situation. And, and one of the old boys, Peter, or one of the others of them would have said, let me tell you what Jesus said we can do when we bind and loose. Let me tell you about that, that spiritual law called binding and loosing. What's loosed in heaven is loosed on earth, and what is bound in heaven is bound on earth. Don't we think Stephen knew that? Don't we think he could have walked away from that situation? I believe he could. I believe he could have walked away from it. But the Holy Ghost had different plans. The Holy Ghost had divine intervention. He says, God says, whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. I don't care if you're in a jail cell and maybe hearing this tape. If you are, I'm telling you, God can deliver you. I don't care if you're in a hospital bed and listening to this tape, God can heal you. When the doctors say, no, God can heal you. When you're in fear, the words of the psalmist come reaching back to us and says, he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Or do you have to make a big decision tomorrow? Are people trying to grapple you? Are they trying to encapsulate and snare you? Are, are evil people trying to, to, to steal and to, and to put a little trap there for you. God says, he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Hallelujah. I, I feel the spirit of God in this place tonight. I hope you're sharing just part of the anointing of what I'm feeling tonight and what I'm sharing with you. We live in a time of, of such terror. I never thought I would see this time come in my lifetime. 
when a person can't walk from the, from the front of their house down to the corner and back without being involved in fear. And you ladies live, live you, you know, you've lived with this thing for a long time, a lot more longer than we men have. But, but men today are starting to live with it too because they're getting killed at an astronomical rate just because somebody enjoys doing it. Drive-by killings of our young people. It's like a slaughterhouse out there and there's terror in the night out there unless, unless the, the words come back to us. There it says, don't be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. Don't be afraid of that. Use wisdom, sure. Use your common sense, absolutely. But don't live in terror. Remember that, remember the prophet he said, Lord, open my servant's eyes and let him see what they're up against. And he opened his eyes and the whole mountain rim was filled with hundreds and hundreds of angels. God's not a respecter of persons. If he'll do it for him, he'll do it for us. And I put him on the hook for it. I put him on the hook for it. I've got the Holy Ghost on the hook. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. Praise the Lord. He says a thousand will fall at your side. And they're doing it every day. Christians are going belly up every day because they all they know is God is love. And this is a time for the warrior saint. And they are not perfecting everything that God has for them. And they are held captive by ignorance. What, what does the writer say? What is one of the things because it causes people to perish is right there at your beck and call. And I find comfort in that. Find great comfort in that. In Hebrews eleven thirty five, we're talking about that there are some who will held captive by their own choice. In Hebrews eleven thirty five, and I don't know any other rendering of this verse except what I'm going to give to you. He says there is a wonderful passage here in the words of God. Says women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. And here's the hooker: not accepting deliverance, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better, <laughs> not escape, but resurrection. Hallelujah. There may, there may come a time when God will ask you to lay the supreme offering in this life on the line. He may do that. And you may acquiesce and you may say, Lord, your will be done in this situation. And it's because you'll catch a glimpse of glory and what's ahead for you. And it says at that time, you may not want to accept deliverance out of this life because you want to perfect a better resurrection. And the last time I saw resurrection, it meant that somebody had died. 
I don't see any other rendering for that passage of scripture except that there may come a time when you'll catch so much of God's plan in your life and there may not be any other way to get into a situation than to just absolutely give your life for it. People have given their lives for a certain select group of people. People have given their lives for a continent like Victor Primeyer we talked about this morning. Some people have given their lives so that their family will come back into a unity under the Holy Spirit. No greater love than a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus perfected that phrase. He was the personification of that phrase in our, in our existence. Not accepting deliverance. There are people who were held captive by their choice. Not accepting deliverance. I've experienced that. And I'm sure you have too on a much smaller scale. Much, much smaller scale. There have been times that I have let, had to let a part of me be killed for the gospel's sake. There's been times that I have been, had to hold back that urge to retaliate. To have to hold back that exercising. When I, when, really, when I was free to do that. We are free to contend for the gospel's sake. But sometimes the Holy Ghost will say, all you'll do if you, if you answer here is you'll aggravate the situation. Be still and just know that I'm God. And then God is going to allow you by your choice to be held captive. But you, hallelujah. But when every time you do that, you are perfecting a better resurrection. The one who makes the crowns in heaven, the order comes down, put another star in this crown. Put it right there. Date it right there. That star is for this. Hallelujah. We as Christians, and I'm bringing this to a close, we as Christians choose to be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we choose to do. I choose to be a bond slave to Jesus, and yet, I have everything. Everything in this world is mine. Everything in heaven is mine. Everything in the world to come is mine. What a preposterous, what a pompous, what an egocentric, full gospel statement to make. Either we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, or we are nothing. And this whole thing is a living lie. And we might as well go to 7-Eleven and get us a job tomorrow. But like Paul said, now is Christ risen. Now is Christ risen and given gifts unto men. We are Christians who choose captivity for the Lord Jesus Christ. When the situation warrants it, I choose to be a captive. I'm free to do anything. If I, slip, if, if I choose to slip over into the flesh at a moment's notice, God's not going to kick me out of heaven. As long as I hold on to him as Savior. Because you see, he's going to bring me back. Because he knows the heart is turned toward him.
But the ideal is to stay close to the hem of his garment. Stay close to that still, small voice. Stay close to that perfect will of the Lord. Stay close to where he can whisper those wonderful things to us. And we as Christians choose to be slaves and captived in captivity to Christ. That Ephesians 4, 8 says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Maddie, that's when you went up. You were in his seed. That's when God seated you on the right hand of the Father. When he took those out of that bondage, that's when we all went up. And he says, and he gave gifts to men. They were raised up for you and just sitting on the shelf like the suit of a soldier. All that gifts were just there waiting for you to come into maturity. And then God says, she's asked for it. And he says, okay, give her, the, give her the power of the Holy Ghost. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, give her these gifts. Give her the potential to use these. Now that she's got the wisdom and the knowledge and she has the inheritance, now give her the power and give her the gifts to make a difference where, the, where she is. Gave gifts to men. And Paul in Romans 1.1 begins his epistle like this. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ, a man who wrote all of these stirring words, that we've, most of them that we've been reading tonight to encourage us, and yet that's the, I see him bowing his spiritual knee when he makes that statement. Certainly he knew that he was part of the, uh, of the creation. Certainly he knew that he had a right to the throne room. Certainly he knew that he had a right to the airship of the Lord Jesus Christ and to everything that the Father has, and yet he could bow his spiritual knee and say, Lord, I'm just a servant of yours. How many times have we said that? How many times have we said, though I own everything, Father, I'm a servant of yours. And that word that Paul used there, I'm a servant of Jesus, it means one who is, is in total subjection. It signifies bondage, bondage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Metamorphically, it could equate to spiritual it could equate to the morals that God designs and, and refinishes in us, our mannerisms and our customs. You don't act like you used to before you got saved. You don't talk the same way you did before you got saved. Isn't it amazing to see somebody get saved and all of a sudden they get a new mouth? <laughs> they don't even start looking like the same person after a while. You know, you take the stress and the strain out of a person... And they don't look the same. Put a smile on somebody's face, they look different. Their ethics change when all of those, when that slave concept comes into place. That ethical character of being a slave unto God, they know they're not their own combatant anymore. And yet Paul could write, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul says, this is because I labor more abundantly than you all. <laughs> well, he's a man of truth. 
And I guess the Holy Spirit looked down there, but I really believe that Paul meant for himself. I don't think he was, I don't think he was judging himself against me or you or anybody else. I think he was just saying, I know how much time I spend there. I know how much time I spend there in that fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I labor more abundantly. He must have been a total laborer. We will be captive to something. Let's be total captives to the Lord Jesus. Captives or captives, there's all different kinds. Hallelujah. Let's stand.